The following broadcast is released under a Creative Commons license. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. I believe He lived and died, and that He rose again. I believe and trust in Him. Ascended into hell, Christ our living head will one day come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe and trust in Him. I will trust in my Redeemer, sing of His love that lasts. Pastor Yeshua. You've been listening to Creed by Richard Jensen from his album, Order of Service. By way of introduction, pastor is an acrostic which stands for preaching all salvation through one Redeemer. Our Redeemer, Yeshua, Jesus, is the Hebrew name for the Lord. It means Yahweh, the Lord, is salvation. Translated from Hebrew into the Greek language, the name Yeshua becomes Jesus. The English transliteration for Jesus is Jesus. This program deals with apologetics, questions on and about God, the Bible, and the Christian faith. I take questions and seek by Scripture to give answers and encouragement for everyone, including the tough-minded living in today's skeptical society. And now, let's join Pastor Yeshua. Welcome again to Pastor Yeshua. In part one of this episode, we began to take a look at the central claim and the cornerstone to Christianity. We pointed out that even outside of Christianity, the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth is an issue for which the answer for every man, woman, and child bears eternal consequences. Since the stakes are so high, each person owes it to themselves to carefully examine and weigh the evidence before making a conclusion. We began by identifying 12 presumptive facts regarding the investigation and exploration of Jesus' resurrection. In part one, we discussed the presumptive fact that Jesus was crucified and Jesus died. In part two, we addressed the fact that Jesus' body was placed in a known, accessible tomb and that Jesus' disciples were scattered abroad after Jesus' crucifixion that the tomb where Jesus was buried was empty three days after his death, and that a large number of the disciples, both separately and together, said that they saw, touched, 
and ate together with Jesus after his death. In part two and three, we began to see how each of Jesus' disciples were psychologically transformed after his resurrection. In parts four through eight, we began to ask what theory best fits all of the 12 presumptive facts. So far, we have examined 13 of 17 theories and or allegations which generally represent the typical theories posed throughout history to explain Jesus' resurrection. The theories examined so far were 1. The disciples stole Jesus' body and preached Jesus as having raised from the dead. 2. The Jewish leaders took Jesus' body. 3. The Roman authorities took Jesus' body. 4. The women went to the wrong tomb. 5. Jesus resuscitated after having swooned and came forth. 6. The disciples had hallucinations. 7. The disciples made up the whole story. They were telling lies, and they knew they were telling lies. 8. The gardener removed Jesus' body, i.e. the lettuce theory. 9. Jesus had a twin brother. 10. Jesus' body decayed before Sunday and thus disappeared, i.e. the rapid decay theory. 11. Jesus was a Zen or yoga master. He learned how to simulate death, practiced it on Lazarus, and finally performed it on himself. 12. The Passover Plot and 13, Joseph of Arimathea removed Jesus' body. So far, the theories presented have still failed to provide an effective explanation and have been found to be logically deficient. In this episode, we continue examining the remaining theories posited. Theory number 14, Legend. With this particular theory, in order to properly analyze, comment, and evaluate its merits, or lack thereof, we need to inquire and find out just exactly what part or parts of the narrative regarding Jesus' resurrection qualify as being a quote-unquote legend, and what part or parts qualify as being historical. At the outset, using the word legend might potentially include everything within the narrative from the very existence of Jesus to accepting everything within the narrative up to but excluding the possibility that Jesus rose again. Given the existence of the 12 presumptive facts set out earlier, along with so many other historical evidences and testimony, the common notion is that the theory that Jesus' resurrection was, or is, quote-unquote, a legend, refers to the idea that after Jesus died and was buried, at some point one or more people began to teach and preach that Jesus had in fact resurrected, giving rise to a legend which had no basis in reality. If this is the correct summary of the theory at hand, then this theory, like the other 16 theories, consciously or unconsciously stipulates to the truthful premise of the following presumptive facts. A. Jesus was a historical person. B. Jesus was crucified. 
C. Jesus died. D. Jesus' body was placed in a known accessible tomb. And finally, E. The tomb where Jesus was buried was empty three days after his death. Now, if Jesus was not a historical person, then there would not be enough historical reality in existence with which to project a legend about someone resurrecting who never existed to begin with. Even in modern times, one cannot be guilty of the murder of someone who never existed to begin with. So as we examine this theory, we encounter the following problems. A. Simply saying that the story of Jesus' resurrection was a legend does not mean that Jesus' crucifixion was a legend. The fact is that it would be easier to create a legend that a person had risen from the dead if that person had historically lived, been crucified, and died, than it would be to create a legend about someone resurrecting when they had never existed and had never been killed by any means. In other words, the moment Jesus' disciples began preaching the gospel of Jesus' resurrection to the people of Jerusalem, when those people who lived at that time heard the name of Jesus of Nazareth, they would have raised their hand and asked, Who? That is, if in fact Jesus was not a historical person whom they were well familiar with. The moment the disciples claimed that Jesus had been crucified and died, the same people would have said, what are you talking about? Jesus escaped and fled to places unknown before he could be crucified. I saw him leave town and he was fine. B. In every account given of the resurrection, the accompanying report was that the tomb where Jesus had been buried was now empty. If the story of the resurrection was only a legend, then we must assume one of two things. One, Either the disciples and others left Jesus' body where it remained in the tomb and simply hoped that no one would ever check to see whether in fact the tomb was empty, or two, they had to overcome all of their depression and fears to sneak past the guards, break the seal, roll back the 2,000 pound stone uphill, remove Jesus' body from the 75 to 100 pounds of myrrh and aloes, and sneak past the guards a second time with Jesus' adult body without being noticed in order to eventually credibly float the proposed legend. In either case, in order for these options to be a possibility, the tomb where Jesus lay had to be in a known accessible location, and that tomb had to be empty three days after Jesus' death. If this were not the case, no one would know where to post the guards who later report Jesus' tomb as being empty. If there had been any uncertainty about the location of Jesus' tomb, or whether that tomb was in fact empty or not, then the moment the disciples launched the legend about Jesus' resurrection, the Jewish religious establishment and or the Roman authorities would have done one or both of two things. One, both the Jews and the Romans would have used all of their considerable resources to locate Jesus' tomb and his remains to destroy the legend. Two, all that the Jews or Romans needed to say was simply point out that 
no one knows where Jesus' tomb is. They would then say, prove that Jesus had risen. But the fact is that during the time when the claims began circulating that Jesus has risen from the dead, no one, no one claimed that Jesus' tomb was lost or that it was inaccessible. To the contrary, the undisputed claim and fact was that Jesus' tomb was empty. The dispute was in explaining how this was possible given the surrounding circumstances. C. A legend would be insufficient to motivate all of the disciples to experience the kind of psychological transformation demonstrated for the entirety of their lives despite persecution, arrests, trials, beating, suffering, torture, and death as a result of propagating a legend. D. Paul started out as an antagonist and persecutor of Christians at a time when this theory claims Christians would have been basing their faiths on a legend. Thus, it is clear that since Paul was an enemy, he surely regarded the resurrection as a legend at the time he was arresting and prosecuting Christians. Yet, despite Paul's vocal and ardent initial skepticism and rivalry to Christianity, he later converted and became Christianity's greatest apologist. In this endeavor, Paul uses his Jesus' resurrection from the dead as a, the very touchstone and basis of the Christian faith he and others held. E. Peter makes it abundantly clear in his second epistle, chapter 1, verse 16, that he and the other disciples did not fall prey to any legend or other trickery when he says, quote, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty, unquote. In all, when evaluating the allegation and or theory that Jesus' resurrection from the dead was a legend, we find that this explanation provides very little, if any, credibility which would be necessary to initiate the birth of the Christian faith. This theory would provide little potential to maintain, much less grow, the Christian church. In conclusion, this theory is highly inadequate to explain and justify Jesus' resurrection and the phenomena of his church. Because of this theory's inconsistencies and insufficiencies, this theory fails to provide an effective explanation and is therefore logically deficient. Theory number 15, Spiritual Resurrection. This theory claims that Jesus had no physical resurrection. His body died and remained dead, eventually decomposing to nothing. Jesus' resurrection was in fact limited only to a spiritual resurrection. If so, this theory, like the other 16 theories, consciously or unconsciously, stipulates to the truthful premise of the following presumptive facts. A. Jesus was a historical person. B. Jesus was crucified. C. Jesus died. And D. Jesus' body was placed in a known accessible tomb. 
Now, if Jesus was not a historical person, then we are left to believe that a person who was mythical somehow sustained a spiritual resurrection. Perhaps we can agree that this theory would work better if Jesus existed historically to begin with. Secondly, I would assume that being able to successfully perform a spiritual resurrection, it might help Jesus' case to have first been crucified and died. Where this theory departs from the rest is that it would have us believe that Jesus' body remained in the tomb where it was placed. Three days later, someone, presumably one of the disciples, made the claim that Jesus had risen again, but only in a spiritual sense. Somewhere along the line, this original fact became misunderstood, twisted, or changed, for whatever reason, to say incoherently that Jesus had risen physically. Thus we have a theory posed by skeptics designed ostensibly to explain or dismiss Jesus' physical resurrection. At the outset of examining this particular theory, the theory thus far substantiates four of the twelve presumptive facts presented. As we examine this theory, we encounter the following problems. A. During Jesus' day, there were basically two camps of thought regarding the resurrection and the afterlife. One, the Sadducees, who denied any resurrection of the dead, denied any afterlife, holding that the soul perished at death, and therefore denying any penalty of reward after the earthly life, and denied the existence of a spiritual world. Two, the Pharisees, who believed in the resurrection of the dead, believed in an afterlife with appropriate reward and punishment on an individual basis, and believed in the existence of a spiritual world, including angels and demons. Within this context, Jesus made it abundantly clear during his ministry that he would rise again physically after three days in the tomb. Obviously, those of the Sadducee belief would have likely dismissed these comments. If the Sadducees were involved with placing the guard on Jesus' tomb, they did so likely because they feared that Jesus' disciples or someone else would steal Jesus' body and use the empty tomb along with fraudulent claims of resurrection for their own agenda. On the other hand, the Pharisees believed in the resurrection but held it would take place after the final judgment. Consequently, from the Pharisees' perspective, the reason they wanted a guard on Jesus' tomb was to prevent the disciples from stealing the body and using the empty tomb along with fraudulent claims of resurrection as proof that Jesus was the Messiah of Scripture. As it turns out, in either case, this is exactly the concern given by the Gospels on the part of the Jewish leaders. Both parties, Pharisee or Sadducee, would have requested a guard from Pilate for similar reasons. The key difference is that anyone with Sadducee beliefs would never be swayed by a spiritual resurrection since they denied such. Anyone with a Pharisee belief would only be persuaded by a physical resurrection since that is what they believed in. The conclusion is that since the majority of people in Jerusalem were Jews with either Pharisee or Sadducee beliefs, an exclusively spiritual resurrection would have great difficulty in converting either group to Christianity. 
In the case of the Pharisees, as soon as the claims of Jesus' resurrection began, they would have recovered Jesus' corpse and quickly dismissed the disciples' claims on the basis that they were not scriptural. In the case of the Sadducees, they would have located Jesus' corpse, paraded it through Jerusalem as proof that their theory was correct, and that Jesus' body was rotting, and since there is no resurrection, neither Jesus nor anyone else raises from the dead. To have failed to do so would have been lethal to the Jewish religious establishment of either party, since it would prove both wrong. B. Historically, the original and earliest account was from the beginning that Jesus had risen bodily from the dead. Further, the testimony was that the disciples and hundreds of others saw, heard, touched, and ate with the physically resurrected Jesus for 40 days after his resurrection. There is no credible historical source which records the idea that Jesus only rose in a spiritual sense or that the disciples preached this. This being the case, both the Pharisees and the Sadducees would have the easiest job imaginable to destroy the claims of the disciples and others. All they had to do was open the tomb and produce Jesus' body publicly, and the claims of Christianity would be exposed as a lie. But again, no one ever attempted to do this because the tomb was already empty and there was no body to produce. C. All of the disciples spent extensive time with Jesus during his ministry. Throughout this time, Jesus taught scriptures in line with the idea that the resurrection was a physical as well as a spiritual resurrection. In this respect, Jesus' teachings were in line with the Pharisees. As a result, when Jesus spoke of his resurrection, the disciples would not have been satisfied with a mere spiritual resurrection while Jesus' corpse rotted in his tomb. D. Since the disciples believed and expected both a physical and spiritual resurrection, a purely spiritual resurrection on Jesus' part would be insufficient to motivate the total lifelong psychological transformation demonstrated by all of the disciples and others, despite persecution, arrest, trials, suffering, torture, and death. E. Paul, who calls himself a Pharisee of the Pharisees, went from being a Pharisee, Jewish religious per persecutor of Christians, to being the greatest of Christian apologists. The theory of a purely spiritual resurrection would be insufficient for such a mindset of Paul. It would also go against the manifest clear teachings of Paul, who likewise claimed that Jesus had risen physically from the dead, which he points out was a basis of the Christian faith. F. If all else fails, go to the source himself, Jesus, to see what he says about his resurrection in Luke chapter 24, verses 38 and 39, which say, quote, And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have, unquote. 
In all, when evaluating the allegation and or theory that Jesus' resurrection from the dead was only spiritual, we find that this explanation provides very little, if any, credibility which would be necessary to initiate the birth of the Christian faith. This theory would provide little potential to maintain, much less grow, the Christian church. In conclusion, this theory is highly inadequate to explain and justify Jesus' resurrection and the phenomena of his church. Because of this theory's inconsistencies and insufficiencies, this theory fails to provide an effective explanation and is therefore logically deficient. Theory number 16. Jesus' body was devoured by dogs. In 1994, Time magazine reported that John Dominic Croissant, the co-founder of the Jesus Seminar, theorized that the body of Jesus was laid in a shallow grave and some wild dogs came along and ate it. Like the other 16 theories, this theory consciously or unconsciously stipulates to the truthful premise of the following presumptive facts. A. Jesus was a historical person. B. Jesus was crucified. C. Jesus died. Thus, these three presumptive facts must exist as a factual basis for the above excuse to be lodged as a potential valid explanation. In this case, it would not make logical sense otherwise, because if Jesus had not been a historical person who was crucified and died, there would be no corpse for any dogs to devour. From here, depending on which variation of this theory we are talking about, Jesus' body was either on the cross where it remained until it was devoured, or it was placed by the Romans in a shallow grave, the sand, a river, or a garbage dump where shortly thereafter Jesus' body was devoured by wild dogs. Alternately, some will agree that Jesus' body was placed inside the tomb as historically stated, where the same dogs gained access and devoured his body from within. If so, we add the truthful premise of item D, the tomb where Jesus was buried was empty three days after his death. In each of these variations, this theory finds the following problems. A. While there is historical record to verify that the Romans did throw or dispose of crucifixion victims by placing their bodies into shallow graves or similar places, there has never been any suggestion other than this one some 1900 years later which claimed to tell us that this is what happened in Jesus' case. Contrary to this, there are historical sources, both secular and religious, which refute the above narrative by giving the already well-known historical fact that Jesus was placed in a known, accessible tomb. For example, the Jewish historian Flavius Josephus corroborates this in his Jewish Wars, Volume 4, Chapter 5, that although the Romans did in fact humiliate corpses by casting them away without burial, the Jewish people, quote, used to take so much care of the burial of men that they took down those that were condemned and crucified and buried them before the going down of the sun, unquote. This was to abide by Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 22 through 23, which say, quote, 
And if a man hath committed a sin worthy of death, and he be to be put to death, and thou hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day. For he that is hanged is accursed of God, that the land be not defiled which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance." Unquote. So while it may have been the custom for the Romans to either leave condemned criminals on the cross for propaganda, or to throw them into shallow graves, garbage heaps, the sand, or a river, this was not the case for Jewish victims of crucifixion. Because of the above commandment, Jewish crucifixion victims were buried or entombed according to Jewish rules and customs as in Jesus' case. B. Regardless of what the Roman practice was, the Jews would not have allowed for Jesus' body being disposed of by being dumped in any of the above suggested places. The reason is that the Jews and everyone else were keenly aware of Jesus' frequent claims during his ministry of raising from the dead to prove his claims of being the Messiah. Thus, the Jews would have been foolhardy to allow for Jesus' body to be disposed of in any way which might lead future credibility to such claims. The proof that they did have such concerns is their request for a Roman guard unit to watch Jesus' tomb and his body to prevent such claims. This would be all the more the case if the Jews knew that the Romans would allow Jesus' body to be devoured by wild dogs and thus create the fodder for any claim of bodily resurrection. C. The Jews were granted a guard which was posted on his known accessible tomb where his body was. Thus we have to explain and deal with why we have such a series of historical actions and precautions recorded if Jesus' body had been discarded in any of the above previously discussed manners. D. If it was a known fact that Jesus' body was discarded in such a manner and devoured by dogs or other beasts, then the moment that the disciples or anyone else began claiming that he had risen bodily from the dead, virtually everyone would have been skeptical. After all, the disciples claimed that they touched, talked to, and ate with a physically alive Jesus. This Jesus identified himself as Jesus and displayed signs of the crucifixion to the disciples. This would be difficult to believe if it was a known fact that Jesus had been eaten by dogs. Where are the wounds of the dog bites, if true? The story of an empty tomb would be an obvious lie if Jesus' body had never made it to a tomb. E. Jesus' claims of being Messiah required that several hundred prophecies be fulfilled in order to qualify. For example, none of Jesus' bones could be broken. Also, Jesus had to be placed in a tomb, not any of the other options. Thus, if Jesus' body was devoured by dogs, then at least two important prophecies failed. The Jews would have known this. Saul of Tarsus would have known this. The disciples' audience, who knew of Jesus' fate as well as prophecy, would have known this. Thus, the moment that the disciples proclaimed Jesus as Messiah due to resurrection from the dead, the Jews and others would have reminded everyone of this and the Christian movement would have come to an end. F. 
If the Jews or Romans had been so cavalier as to leave Jesus' body on the cross, or to have deposited in a shallow grave or garbage heap the sand or a river where it was known that dogs routinely ate the bodies, then the moment the disciples began making the false statements that Jesus' tomb was empty and he had resurrected, then the parties responsible, all of whom had motive, cause, and vested interest, would have come forward to relay the actual facts and fate of Jesus' body. To fail to do so would have spelled political, personal, religious, and financial demise for them all. G. If Jesus' body was placed in the tomb, then the dogs in question would have to have gotten past the guards, broken the seal to the tomb, rolled the 2,000-pound-plus stone uphill covering the tomb, and then ate the body as well as the myrrh and aloes and escaped without notice. We would either have to believe that these dogs had really good manners since they were thoughtful enough to save Jesus' grave clothes from being torn to shreds, and left them for posterity, or the women and disciples who later found the clothes just assumed that they were some really hungry silverfish or other bugs who ate through Jesus' grave clothes and then ate Jesus. H. This theory does not explain why hundreds of people would all claim to have seen, heard, and touched the risen Jesus who was known to have been eaten by dogs. Either they were all duped or they were all lying. I. Since this theory assumes that the disciples and others were lying or duped, we must now explain how the knowledge of Jesus' body being devoured by dogs or other animals, or just simply disappearing, would then provide the motivation for all of the disciples and others to be totally psychologically transformed for the rest of their lives despite persecution, trials, suffering, torture, and death. And finally, G. This theory fails to explain how a committed Jewish Pharisee such as Paul, who persecuted the church who believed in Jesus' resurrection, would be converted based on secondhand information that Jesus had resurrected when it was a known fact that Jesus' body was thrown into a shallow grave where the bodies were routinely devoured by dogs. In all, when evaluating the allegation and or theory that Jesus' body was devoured by dogs, we find that this explanation provides very little, if any, credibility which would be necessary to initiate the birth of the Christian faith. This theory would provide little potential to maintain, much less grow, the Christian church. In conclusion, this theory is highly inadequate to explain and justify Jesus' resurrection and the phenomena of his church. Because of this theory's inconsistencies and insufficiencies, this theory fails to provide an effective explanation and is therefore logically deficient. This concludes this episode. Please join me for part 10 of this series. Now, if you have any questions about God, the Bible, or the Christian faith, I encourage you to send me an email at pastor underscore Yeshua at yahoo.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R underscore Y-E-S-H-U-A at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening.